if you had the hubris to write a book that would tell everybody everything they needed to know about God, how would you organize it? Would you begin with the first chapter that laid out all the definitions and terms that are needed to understand God? Would your chapters have titles like How Worship Feeds the Soul or The Problem of Evil or How to Work in a System that is Not Always Just? If you wanted to communicate to people how deeply God cares about justice and deplores injustice, would you put in a series of principles or commandments? Or would you tell a story about a prince who murders a soldier who flees to the wilderness and tends a bunch of sheep for a couple of decades and then has a conversation with God through a burning bush and goes back to the land, his homeland, but the land of oppression and leads his people out to freedom, to justice. If you wanted to talk about God's boundless love, would you try to draw up the boundaries, so to speak, you know, the terms, the conditions, the rules, the commandments? Or would you say, <laughs> a family had two children, and the youngest, full of hubris, came to the parents and said, I want all my stuff right now. And the parents gave it to them. And they went off, and as the scripture said, they, they lost it all in desolate living, and they wound up on the streets, and they were craving what the farmers were feeding to the hogs, but they came to themselves. Isn't that a beautiful line in scripture? They came to themselves and said, I'm gonna go home and just try to get on as a hired hand because mom and dad treated the hired help better than I'm living. But as they go home with their little speech memorized, you remember this story, right? I've sinned against heaven and against you. Take me back as one of your hirelings. God meets them at the gate, right? Comes running to them, throws the holy arms around the child, puts a ring on their finger, a sign of restoration, and shoes on their feet, welcomes them back to the table, and throws a lavish homecoming party. The Bible's the story's people, isn't it? We don't always think of it like that. About people's experiences with the holy and with God, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Moses and Miriam, Samson and Deliah, David and Jonathan, Elijah and Jezebel. And given that it's a human story, the Bible is full of, of our missteps, our misadventures, and sometimes even our misunderstandings of what God is doing. Yeah, there's teachings, there's commandments, there's there's poems, there's poetry, there's history, but the Bible tells all this story through a human lens. And we might ask ourselves, what does God's use of a human lens tell us about, about God? About our relationship to God? 
and about how we might best experience God. In the New Testament, we hear the story of Jesus, right? But we hear it tied to names, which is just kind of interesting, isn't it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then, then there's the Acts of the Apostles, right? Story of the church. And then these letters of Paul. And you know what's funny? Is we don't have the letters from the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Corinthians, and the Romans to, to Paul. We just, we just have the bishop's answer back. I wouldn't want to be judged by the bishop's answer back. We just have half the conversation. And yet God is speaking to us. Given this human lens, how deeply, how deeply does God entrust humanity with the divine story? And as Christians, we believe that when God wanted to give us the very clearest picture of who God is, God chose to become one of us, right? To live with us. How deeply does God love humanity? And we see Christ in action, right? And what's one of the first, what's the first thing Christ does? He calls other into community. He calls these disciples to come along and join in the work and they go out and begin to help people. So I want to ask a question this morning. That's why I've been poking with these earlier questions, I guess. My question is this. If God tells God's story through this human lens, through the failures of the disciples, right? Because so often, don't they get it wrong? When you read it, don't they just so often get it wrong? Through the mistakes of the church. You know, Paul writes to the church in Galatians and says, Who bewitched you? What a greeting to a church. <laughs> so if God tells God's story through people, through community, can we understand God's story apart from community? I'm beginning to wonder if we can really experience the risen Christ outside of community. John Wesley said, no, you can't really. There is no such thing as a solitary Christianity, Wesley said. Now that doesn't mean that it's impossible or that God's not reaching out to people, but it means that we are designed to be in community with one another. Think of that, that second telling of the creation story, right? God makes Adam out of the mud and, and like 25 seconds after God has made Adam, what does God say? This is not good for man to be alone, for humanity to be alone. We are built for community. And Jesus said that when two or three of you are together, what did Jesus say? I will be with you. I want to suggest to you that we best experience God in the community of faith. That we need to belong and be a part and be present with one another. Today is the baptism of our Lord Sunday. Lent comes early. Everything's a little compressed this year. It's a baptism of the Lord Sunday. It's when we remember our baptismal vows. And you know, so often I think we think of our baptismal vows as a series of things that we believe. But I want to suggest to you that they are really a covenant to be in community with one another. 
It's really an invitation to be a Christian community together, more than a series of beliefs. Oh, there's some beliefs, and our beliefs matter. But listen to these questions. On behalf of the whole church, that's how our first question begins. On behalf of the whole church, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? Do you do that on behalf of all these other folks sitting around with you? Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in Christ's grace, and promise to serve Christ as your Lord in union with the church? In union with the church, which Christ has opened up to all ages, nations, races, and people. Do you believe in God, our Creator? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Even there, there's a Trinity, right? A God in relationship is what we believe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer. Community. And then maybe my favorite question. Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life? Will you nurture one another in the Christian faith and life? Will you do all in your power to increase each other's faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love? Maybe we ought to ask that every time we sit down to do church business. <laughs> Look around the table and say, Will I do all in my power to increase their faith, confirm their hope, and perfect them in love? Will you uphold this congregation with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And then we pledge, with God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround each other with a community of love and forgiveness so that we may grow in service to others. We will pray for each other so that each of us might live as true disciples walking in the way that leads to life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave. There's all these different kinds of folk. We are all given one spirit to drink. So don't say to anybody, I don't need you. Don't say to anybody, I don't need you. No, we belong together. We need each other. Our baptismal vows connect us to Christian community. And you know, to be in Christian community, it means that we need to practice the fruits of the Spirit, right? Because, you know, the Bible is full of people that are capable of mistakes and misunderstandings and misadventures. They're also It's also a book full of people doing just, you know, miraculous, wonderful things, too. But in a community that, that has people like us that are capable of mistakes and misunderstandings and missteps, we, we need to remember that we need to practice patience, kindness, forgiveness, gentleness, self-control, generosity, because the church continues to let in people like us. Connie and I are cleaning out our basement. <clears throat> what a great way to start the new year. And we found a tape of like one of my earliest sermons. I'm afraid to watch it 
And I think of those good people at, at my first churches who loved me despite who I was and the ignorant things that I probably said. In Romans 12, uh, Paul has this long list of admirable behaviors, and, and they're great. But Paul has one deeply radical idea embedded in it. We are one body. We are one body. Look around this room. We are one body. And individually, we belong to each other. And individually, we belong to each other. We become the body of Christ together. Christ is our peace. Christ breaks down the barrier walls, Paul says. Racism, tribalism, homophobia, all kinds of things that separate us. We belong to each other. It's a deeply radical notion. And it rose against a tide of consumerism, individualism, tribalism, separationism, all kinds of isms. Friends, we need each other. We need each other. And why is it that Christ... Uh, chooses or promises to show up inside two or three of us getting together instead of just one of us, no matter how bright or insightful or prophetic we might be. I think it's because we can't love in isolation. I think it's because we can't love in isolation. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring what the, staff, the clergy staff has been calling a habitat of grace and you know, if we had our stuff perfect, if I told, I said in early service, if, I, if the senior pastor had been willing to let go of some control a little earlier, we probably would be further along. But a habitat of grace, a habitat is everything you need to, to, to grow and to thrive. And we believe we find that in grace and, and, and we find that in these baptismal vows and there's five or seven or probably more habits, and we're going to be talking about those things. But it begins with community, being present with one another, being present with ourselves, being present with God, being present with each other. That's this kind of a trinity in and of itself, isn't it? God loves us, we love God, we love each other. Presence, being in community, praying, reading the scripture. Oh, the Bible's too confusing without other people to help us get through. That's just, just the truth. We need each other. We need scholars and we need regular old folks who, who've been walking faith to help us understand it. And worship and giving and serving and bearing witness of God's love, both of, of God's, our experience of God's love and, and of God's call to justice, which is love for others. We'll be talking about these on Wednesday nights. We'll be talking about these throughout the year. We'll be having small groups coming during Lent. But friends, this morning, I just really want you to think about one thing. If God chose to tell God's story through people like us, capable of mistakes and masterpieces, then I want to suggest we need each other. And I want to suggest that we can't do Christianity in isolation. And as we begin this new year, I want to invite you to think about 
being more engaged in community, thinking more deeply about what it means to belong to each other. And as we come to the altar and as we renew our vows of our baptism, as we remember who we are and who God calls us to be, I invite you this year to think about being more deeply involved in community so that you might more richly experience the grace of God that's, that, that, that appears somehow in a special way only inside the community of faith. So that's my invitation. And that's what I hope we can strive for in this next year, to be the community more and more together, to belong to each other more and more and more so we can share our joys and our griefs and be woven more closely into the body of Christ so that grace might abound and love might fill us and we might go out into the world and do works of justice, grace, mercy, and peace. Amen.